Welcome to the Make Disciples Podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Make Disciples Podcast. We have uh, three people in the podcast studio today, which is very exciting. Joining me, and I'm Dan Rober, by the way, is our senior pastor, David McNeely. David, glad to have you here. Good to be here. And also joining us is Russell Matherly, worship leader extraordinaire. Glad to have you back, Russell. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be back. Yeah, this seems like the beginning of a joke, you know, like a theologian, a historian, and a musician <laughs> enter a podcast studio. I don't know how it would finish, but... No one yeah. does. Let's yeah. see. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Well, why are we here together? Well, uh, let me give you some background. On Wednesday, February 8th in Wilmore, Kentucky, a volunteer soccer coach named Zach Meerkrieb stood up to give a message during a chapel service at Asbury University. He would uh, later say that he totally whiffed on the sermon and would refer to his message as a stinker. Yet this stinker of a sermon was... Uh, a beginning point for more than two weeks of singing and prayer and confession and repentance that drew thousands of people to the chapel at Asbury University. At its height, people were flying in from as far away as Singapore to this tiny uh, two-stoplight town in Kentucky and would wait for hours in the snow and rain just to be in that auditorium. Following up with this, additional 24-hour prayer services sprung up in Lee University in Tennessee, Cedarville University in Ohio, Samford University in Alabama. And a lot of people use different terms for uh, what was going on there. Some people said people were just procrastinating from their homework for college, but others were referring to it as an awakening or God visiting, and probably the most popular term, a revival. So we want to talk about this idea of revival. What is a revival? What does revival entail? And what role uh, does music play for it? Is there some sort of historical precedence for this? So I think each one of us can bring some unique insight into this whole concept of a revival. So let's start by talking about it theologically. So David, help us understand what do we mean when we talk about the concept of a revival and what does, what's usually involved in it? Yeah, so I think there's uh, two things here. One is how do we typically use it in 21st century, even 20th century language um, in America? That's what we would be most familiar with, how it's used um, uh, more commonly. And then I think there's really a biblical way uh, to look at it. So we have revivals that take place in the scriptures themselves. So what, what happens there? And then what do we refer to them here? So just rather than getting too um, uh, uh, in, in the weeds and all this, I would say, generally speaking, we don't use the term revival as it's portrayed in the scriptures. Uh, I'm not going on the word police you know, here, but there have been uh, great revivals that have taken place. So there's the first and, and second great awakening. There was the Jesus movement in the 70s, for example, where there is this uh, life-giving thing that the Holy Spirit does amongst a significant number of people. Biblically speaking, there's some elements that we almost always see. And the first one is that there is confession of sin. So one element of a true biblical revival would be that there is an, an emphasis uh, upon my sinful condition and the holiness of God. And I recognize the gap that is uh, between those two things. Secondly, it's not just confessing or acknowledging, but there's also repentance. I'm going to turn from 
and then turn to, and then keep in mind, this is what it's always, we always have to remember, repentance is not turning from bad deeds to good deeds, right? That's moralism. Uh, repentance is when I turn from anything that I am pursuing, we're going to call that a throne, something that I think is going to complete me, satisfy me, that I can't live without, whatever it may be. Turn from whatever it is on the throne and then turn towards the person of Christ who is rightfully on his throne. So most of us are usually turning away from ourselves on the throne. <laughs> we're saying, I'm control, except I'm um, returning to Jesus. So in revivals, you see heavy emphasis on the holiness of God, um, the fact that I- I'm not there. And then there is this turning, there's this throwing ourselves at the mercy seat of God and, and saying, you have control um, of, of my life. One, one more thing to say, though, um, that we typically see um, in there. And then I think John Piper is uh, incredibly insightful when he talks about this. He wrote an article years ago about it. Uh, one more thing. Keep in mind, a revival is something that takes place in a location and then it spreads outward. It is where God is moving. He doesn't need talent. God doesn't need people uh, with tremendous gifts, et cetera. Um, God will do a work, and then from that location, it will spread out as we see in the book of Acts, for example. Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit moves, repentance, confession, turning to the person of Christ as Lord, and then now this message makes its way out into circles, uh, friendship groups, and um, et cetera. So, um, as it says uh, in their Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's typically what a revival is. Yeah. And I'm going to call an audible and turn it over to Russell here because you made an important point that we want to spend time in. This isn't something that is professional. Like it's this idea that, you know, if you have good enough people who can cause a revival, then they're going to cause it. No, that's a that's a problem within evangelicalism writ large, that it's some sort of celebrity culture that can cause this. I mean, the preacher for that day we already talked about was just some guy, and he didn't even think that he did a particularly good job. And they were careful in the midst of this revival to say, don't turn it over to the celebrities. Don't bring in the quote unquote professionals. And so, Russell, talk to us about that when it comes to things like uh, music. Uh, what happens for that in terms of revival? What do we usually see for that? Well, I think it's funny, first and foremost, when you think about music and what happened at Asbury. Um, early on, I, I heard about this maybe like third hand or fourth hand, if that's a thing. I, I'm not on the social medias, so I don't know. But I heard a lot of the criticism early on was kind of directed towards like, oh, it's just all hype. They're just hyping people up and that sort of a thing, which I mean, is just uh, objectively false. Like if you go and you watch the video of what was happening, there's no like smoke and mirrors. There's not like a, uh, I don't know, like a, for some reason I almost said a disco ball <laughs> as if that's what, that's what gets the kids <laughs> disco ball. But, um, but you know what I mean? Like there's not like a huge band up there. It's not the celebrity. They actually turned away as I understand celebrity worship leaders or speakers who wanted to come and kind of come and do the thing. It's just, you had someone on acoustic guitar, someone on piano, and then you had some singers and, um, and that was it. So just the, the feedback of the idea that it was all just some sort of emotional stirring and that was it. It was all just hype. Um, it's just kind of patently false. And that's just going back to what you were talking about. Like it doesn't take some really elaborate, well thought out, well structured, well organized. There's gotta be some organization to this thing, right? Especially if you're just perpetually keeping it going, but, um, it doesn't need to be the next showstopper in order for the Spirit of God to move. And in fact, it just seems time after time, and if I'm reading even the prophets correctly, 
um, what God is doing is he seems to be stepping in and say, hey, actually, I'm going to do this in spite of what it is um, that you're bringing to the table to highlight the fact that this is coming as a result of me and not as of you. Um, And that's not a shot at any of the musicians who were playing at all. I'm sure they were great. These college musicians who just said, I have heart and I have an instrument here and I love the people around me and I want to lead them and I want to serve them. And it seems, I mean, I don't know as much about the history of revival of that sort of thing as either of you two would, um, but it just seems to be when this sort of thing happens, I think of the um, one of my favorite scholars, Gordon Fee, he has a quote where he says, wherever the spirit of God is, there's always sync. Um, and I think scripturally that checks out. I think historically that checks out as well. So I'm out of my ring there a little bit, but yeah. And this is an important distinction that we can make here. Uh, let's talk about revival, but let's compare it to, for example, a Billy Graham crusade that's highly scripted, highly organized. And I'm not saying one's good or one's bad. I no, say let, let's let God move however it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. But this is a ground up swelling. It's the spirit of God moving in the midst of people in spite of that organization. This is kind of like the anti-Finney. Like Charles <laughs> yeah. Finney in the midst of the Second Great Awakening argued that a revival is kind of like baking a cake. So you have the right ingredients, you mix them together, and then you can cause a revival to happen. That's not what we're talking about here at Asbury. It's just people who came together and were unusually stirred and drawn into spiritual things. So that lack of professionalism is actually a distinguishing characteristic of what's going on here. Well, let's talk a little bit about the history of it, uh, because uh, certainly uh, we see it throughout the history in Scripture, as uh, David, you mentioned, but even here in America. In fact, one of the reasons why America is unique in terms of religiosity. So uh, what I mean by that is, as in general, when you look at uh, the uh, financial situation of countries, the more wealthy you get, the less interested people are in religious things. And Jesus tells us this, you know, riches are actually going to get in your way of uh, longing for a relationship with Jesus. The United States is the outlier on this, where we are both a very wealthy country, but we're also very spiritual. And one of the reasons people argue for that is they look at these moments of outpouring uh, throughout the history. So, David, you mentioned the First Great Awakening with uh, this is a time period of Jonathan Edwards and uh, George Whitfield. In fact, you can read what Edwards writes about it. He wrote a book called A Faithful Narrative of the Surprising Work of God. And isn't that a good term, by the way? a surprising work of God. People just doing their thing, and then God shows up, and they're saying, wow, this is amazing. But a surprising work of God in the conversion of many hundred souls in Northampton, uh, other works describing revivals in England, and that actually spreads back to England in the 1730s and 40s. We could talk about the Second Great Awakening that happens following the American Revolution and the uh, founding of the country, so late 1790s in Kentucky, and we see how it's moving in Uh, the early 1800s in different places, including in the Burned Over District in upstate New York. Uh, There's this one little story about uh, what's known as a haystack prayer meeting, uh, where uh, a couple of students, just five students, were praying during a thunderstorm in the shelter of a haystack. They actually were seeking shelter in the midst of a thunderstorm, and they started praying together. And the argument, which is amazing, is that this actually leads to the beginning of the American foreign missions movement. 
that draws people in and sends people out all over the world. And that's what you were saying earlier, David, this idea that uh, it starts in a central place, but then it just moves to a lot of different places after that, which is absolutely incredible. We could talk about a lot others, but there's just so many different, both small and large ones. One that's interesting actually takes us back to Asbury. So back in 1970, the idea is that there was another revival that happened. And following that revival, some 2,000 different groups were sent out from Asbury all over the United States to talk about what's going on. And some people argue that, at least in part, that's what spurs the Jesus movement of the 1970s and why people are drawn into uh, this unique uh, connection. And lest we only make this an American thing, we could argue that this is happening other places around the world. Uh, Probably the best example, China. In 1980, there was about 2 million uh, Christians. 20 years later, we believe that the number is north of 100 million. How do you go from such a small thing to such a large thing in such a relatively brief amount of time? Well, God has to be moving. So we long for these kind of revivals. We want to see this kind of revival. So David, in your experience, how should we be approaching these? I would say let's avoid either extreme. Let's avoid one extreme, which uh, says, hey, um, there's nothing good going on over there in Kentucky because there, you've got all these people that are coming in trying to take advantage of it. And there are. There are some that are doing some things. Now you go, ah, oh, come on. And, uh, but that's not what got started um, over there. What got started was, uh, in my opinion, it sure seems to be the Holy Spirit um, with, with a lot of confession, a lot of repentance, um, a lot of emphasis upon the person of Christ rather than the emphasis being on the Holy Spirit I'm there. So uh, let's avoid the extreme of saying nothing good's going on. And let's also avoid the, the extreme of saying, hey, man, this is the start um, of the world uh, being converted. I would love it if, if that happened. But I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Pray that it would. Um, it's not the greatest thing that's, uh, that's hit us in the last 20 years. It's not a, something we should uh, downplay um, uh, either. I think somewhere in the healthy middle of just saying, look, God sure seems to be moving in the hearts and minds of people, and praise God that he's doing that. Um, I don't want to be a storm chaser. Uh, I don't want to be a, a spirit chaser or a revival chaser, if you will, and, and try to go um, places all throughout the earth. I, I want to pray that God would do something amongst us. Um, uh, and there's, So, yeah, I think we should view it and say, yay, God. God keeps stirring, moving in the hearts of your people. And um, it, it'd be great if he brought that to, uh, to us Presbyterians, um, where we schedule the movement of God to uh, happen at certain times. That's right. <laughs> Very organized. <laughs> well, we do. We do pray for revival. And uh, as uh, David started us off with, it starts with confession, starts with repentance. So if we are allowing ourselves to actually truly confess, truly repent, then maybe God will move and we can pray for that. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us for uh, this uh, particular episode. And I'll just conclude, uh, I like what Jonathan Edwards said about this. He says that a true work of the Holy Spirit elevates Christ, opposes sin and Satan, prizes the Bible, distinguishes truth from error, and ultimately manifests love. We can long to do that in our lives in the here and now, and uh, pray that God would move and that more and more people would be drawn into a relationship with him, that our affections would be drawn upward, that we would not be so taken in by the things of this world and be drawn into what God has for us. So we'll pray to that end.
Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Thank you. And uh, thank you to our listeners for being here for this. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. My thanks to Catherine Eckhart, the producer of this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, 